Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from Joshua 1, 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated as you say hello to someone. Good morning. I'm not Chris. Uh, I'm Pastor Scott, one of the pastors around here, or the old pastor around here, been here for a while. And a couple of weeks ago, Chris and I were talking about his preaching schedule, and he, he would really like, wanted me to step in and, and do a message coming up. And so one of the conversations we recently had, uh, he asked me, how did we come up with the name Riverstone for the church? I mean, what are the roots of that? How did we arrive at that? And so I thought, um, hey, today would be a good day to talk about that, kind of get into the roots. But this, this story that we're going to share, it pertains to more than just people who belong to a church named Riverstone. When we get into the roots of it, we're able to see the journey that, that all of us take in our journey toward faith. So no matter where you are on the spectrum this morning, maybe, you know, um, a pre-Christian, let's just say, you know, you haven't really made that decision, you're checking it out, you'll see yourself in the story. And those who have been on the journey for a long, long time, you'll also see yourself in this story. So Riverstone, how did we come up with it? Well, first of all, we're not really on a river. We're close to one, but not on it. Uh, we're closer to the freeway. So we, we, we could have named it Little Church on the Freeway, and it had been very appropriate. But uh, in, particularly the way most of us live our lives, right? I mean, we feel like we live on the freeway on the go. Uh, we're really not on a mountain or near Stone Mountain. So why Riverstone? What's, what's the why behind the what? How did we come up with that? And how does that pertain to our personal lives? What is it about that that would, would pull us or draw us to be a part of, uh, of this church family, to grow together? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, names mean a lot. In fact, church names can mean a lot. Church names have gone through a lot of trends over the years. A um, hundred years ago, a lot of churches had the name tabernacle or temple associated with it. You'll see that kind of in some old places. Uh, the, the tabernacle music venue. Anybody ever been to the tabernacle music venue before? Won't admit. Okay, yeah, me too. I've been there. I, I went actually when it was still a Baptist church. <laughs> and played, I, I played drums, and so I was a drummer in a worship conference that took place there. It's a beautiful old venue uh, back then and, and, of course, now. And so I, I realized, well, I've actually got something in common with Lenny Kravitz and Dave Matthews and Three Dog Night and Snoop Dogg. Uh, we all played on the same stage, just not at the same time. Uh, 
would have been great to have had him there. But uh, tabernacle actually means a place where God dwells. The name Bethel uh, means the house of God. And so you can see there's the significance behind the names of churches. And today we have some very descriptive uh, names for churches, Passion, Fusion, Mosaic. Uh, sounds like, you know, you get a smoothie there or work out or it may be a church. It's, and so there, there's reasons and, and purposes behind each of those names. Uh, I ran across a church down on Memorial Drive. I kid you not, I wish, I wish I had a picture of this, but it was the first church of the Holy Fire of Pentecost, King James Version. <laughs> and I thought, well, that tells it all. You pretty much know what to expect. And you even know which Bible to bring when you go there and which Bible not to bring when you go there, I'm sure. So it pretty much describes uh, everything going on there. But names are important because uh, names are descriptive, both the names of people, the names of locations and of things. And sometimes the names can be funny and sometimes they can even be tragic. Uh, There is a dentist, and I'm sure he's a good dentist who's not too far from here, whose name, I kid you not, is literally Dr. Justin Payne. Just in pain. I don't know what his parents were thinking, but he was pretty much destined to do something with medicine uh, whatsoever. And I looked it up. He's a real guy. He really is. Uh, Anybody? He's not here this morning, is he? Okay. Sometimes when you look at names, you wonder just what were the parents thinking. Uh, I've got some pictures, and these are supposedly real names here. Uh, The first one, there's uh, Donald Duck. He got arrested, by the way. Not really sure what he was doing, but that guy was... The next one, Samsung. Samsung. He he wrote a book for Apple. (laughs) Figure it out. This Christian guy. Okay, there he is. He's just a Christian guy. And then there's this guy. I'm not even going to venture to go into this one. Uh, the next one's a military man and <laughs> things. Uh, you, you won't believe the ones I didn't bring. Um, this next one was a military guy, and it must not have been going so good. It's the sad man, and he kind of looks the part. Uh, this next one, this is a, a guy who is, is on the credits. Crispy Bacon. <laughs> okay. And by the way, guys, do a little plug for the retreat. We are going to have both steak and bacon there and probably together, so come for that. Um, The next one, I think uh, we just have the picture, Batman Ben Superman. Okay. And mixing up all the comic books there. Sometimes people aren't happy with their names, and so they change them. You may have wanted to change your name. I'm not sure. There was a girl who grew up outside of Tucker, Georgia, when I was growing up. And I never met her, but I understand that her name was Bertha Butt, uh, one of the Butt sisters. I thought, how tragic that is. Um, But a lot of Hollywood stars change their names. Uh, See if you know who these people are. Alan Stewart Coinsberg. Woody Allen. Yeah, somebody get that? They actually got that? That's great. Uh, Marion Morrison. John Wayne. Very good. Uh, Archie Leach. Cary Grant. I understand him changing that. Norma Jean Baker. Marilyn Monroe. Very good. Okay, give that man a prize over there. Uh, Richard Starkey. There you go. Rock and Rollers and Bob Ritchie. Kid Rock. Uh, In the Bible, names are given to show something about the character of a person or a description of a place or an event that took place there. In fact, there's a guy in the Bible whose name was Jabez, and his name means he causes pain. And so, ladies, you can imagine what it must have. He must have been a big boy, you know, when he was born because his mom named him. It was, uh, yes, given in childbirth. 
And by the way, don't do that. Uh, kids have to live with those kind of names, and uh, it's kind of tough. But he ended up being a very noble man and had a powerful, powerful prayer life. He, he prayed this prayer in First Chronicles. He said, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. So it was a part of his life, and God honored that prayer, by the way. In the Bible, God also changes the names of people, particularly to point towards something that he is doing in their life. Many times it's to describe prophetically what he has done or what he is going to do in their lives. So Abram, which meant exalted father, God changes his name to Abraham, which means exalted father of a great number because of God's intention to raise up a nation through him. Jacob, however, his name meant supplanter or trickster because when he was born with his twin brother, he grabbed a hold of his twin brother's heel, you know, and they were fighting about who was going to come out first. I don't know. I don't even want to picture that. But that's what took place. And so he was named Trickster or Surplanter. And he pretty much, if you read the story, lived up to his name until God got a hold of him and came along and changed his name. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Israel means persisting with God, prevailing with God, triumphant with God. So basically, when he was born, he was named Slick, okay? And his name went from Slick to one who prevails with God. Simon Peter uh, got, Jesus changed his name from, from Simon Peter to Peter, uh, which means Petra, rock, Saul, brilliant Pharisee, proud Pharisee, who God got a hold of and changed his life. His name was changed to Paul. Saul was the name after the very towering, powerful king of Israel, the very first king of Israel. And Paul means small. And humble. When you read his story, you see that that's exactly what happened. His life was humble. Um, it's a very clear picture of what was taking place. Many times a prophetic picture. The Bible talking about us in the future says that we're going to get a new name. In Revelation chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who conquers or is victorious or triumphs, I will give some of the hidden manna. Not sure what that is, but it'd be interesting. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And of course, God, who wrote the name. So what is that name that you're going to get? You ever wonder what that name might be? How is it that God sees you when he looks at you? Because he, he looks at us not on the merit of all of our mistakes and all of our sins, but he looks at us through redemptive eyes of what we will become and can become in him. We're going to get a new name. So today, let's look at a little bit of the biblical roots of Riverstone, how we ended up coming up with that name, and more particularly, how that relates to us, whether you're a part of this church or not. In order to do that, we have to immerse ourselves in one of the grandest stories in the Bible, it's a tremendous saga of the people of Israel from the very conception of becoming a people to the point where they actually settle into the promised land. So we're going to take a little quick road trip. We're going to breeze through this, kind of do a flyover. But the people of Israel began as a small ragtag group that God had said, I'm going to bless you and use you or live through you to be priests to this world. You'll represent me and tell the world what I am all about. So when we look at their story, because they begin in Egypt and they journey, and quite a journey, and they end up in the promised land. When we look at that, 
Bible scholars and students have looked at that story for a long time, and they said, you know what? The journey that they took from Egypt into Canaan, into the Promised Land, is very much like the journey that you and I take from the point where we're not a Christian to the point that we are saved to the point that we grow in Christ. And so I don't know where you are in the spectrum today. Somewhere along that journey, we're all somewhere at that, that, along that journey. God's intention is that we don't get stuck at any one place, that we continue to grow and to move along. Paul was writing about this story, and he says that these things are very helpful. This is what he said. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has now come. And he said again in, in Romans that, that these are written for our instruction. They're written for our benefit so that we can look and receive, he, he says, both endurance and encouragement so that we would have hope. So these inspire hope. So we're going to jump in and kind of do a quick flyover. Now, um, the first seven books of the Bible tell the history, the story of the people of Israel from their roots to becoming a nation, the struggles they go through, the challenges to the point that they're finally settled in the promised land, as I mentioned. At the end of the book of Genesis, and some of you may be reading through the Bible this year, and if you want to read a very interesting story, a long story, many parts, start in Genesis and watch the development of the people of Israel during those first seven books of the Bible. It's pretty amazing what takes place. And we see them coming along at the end of Genesis, and they're growing as a people. They're a people, a nation, if you will, but they had no land. They were in slavery. They were in Egypt, and they were held in slavery as slave laborers. They probably are some of the people who built the pyramids that are still there. They were trapped. They were hopeless. They could not free themselves. There was no way that they could liberate themselves until God sent Moses. And you know the story. God sends Moses, and he becomes their deliverer and takes them out of Egypt toward the promised land. So here they are in this condition of slavery, of trapped, of lost, of not really being a people with freedom, with hardship in their life, not able to really call uh, the, the, the steps that they were going to take in their life. And the Bible points out that before we became Christians, that we too were slaves. It says in, in Ephesians chapter 1, we were once slaves to sin. We were once slaves to sin. We were, were once hopeless. We could not free ourselves. We could not break free from sin or forgive ourselves. We were a, sin, a sinner. And because of that, God sends Jesus to be our deliverer. So Moses is an example of what Jesus does for us. He delivered the people of Israel. Jesus comes and he delivers us from sin from the slavery of sin to become his people. And just as Moses came and he delivered the people of Israel across the Red Sea, Jesus comes and he delivers us through another sea, the, the, the sea of his blood, shedding his blood so that we can be free, set free, and raised to the other side. The people of Israel, after that, they begin to go into the, the, the wilderness. You remember the story, it's, it's tough, it's hard, um, it's a very difficult time, but in the wilderness, God begins to reveal himself to them. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He, he rescues them when enemies come against them, 
when they needed, had tremendous needs in their life, they were hungry, they were thirsty, God comes along and he performs miracles and he provides for them and he cares for them. But if you really understand the intention of the Lord all along, it wasn't just to walk through them through this wilderness and to introduce himself to them, but he had a destination. It's the promised land. It's the, uh, the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey. I love what VeggieTales says. It sounds sticky, doesn't it? You know, just, just a picture. What? It's a land flowing with milk and honey? What is that? But that is a, a, an example of the fruitfulness and the sweetness of the land that God had for them. Now, if you take your Bible and you go to the back and you look at maps back there, you'll notice something very interesting. There's G- Egypt, there's the Red Sea, there's the wilderness, and then there's Israel, the promised land. And you look at it and you may think, yeah, it's not very far. It's not that far. In fact, it's really not. The, the truth is that they could have made that journey in, in four weeks. But instead, it took them 40 years to make that. Why? Why did it take them so long to make that? Well, it was because of their own stubbornness, hard-heartedness, their disobedience, the fact that they were slow to learn. And we look at the parallel of our own life, I think the implication is pretty obvious when we ponder, why does it take me so long to grow up? Why does it take me so long to mature? Just like they went through those struggles and they had victories and they also had setbacks, every one of us go through times in our life where we, we struggle with belief, We struggle with trusting God. There are other times that we trust God and we see great victories in our faith and we grow spiritually. We feel close to him. But it's a journey. It's a journey that doesn't take place overnight. It takes a season to go through. It takes a while. So Paul, who is writing in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I'm very confident of one thing. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you He started this good work in you. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What God begins in us, he is going to complete it. God has a plan for our our lives, and that is to grow up, to become, as Chris was talking about a couple weeks ago, more and more and more like Jesus as God matures us. But it is a journey of many steps, many steps. And on this, this journey, the, the great thing is, and I find encouragement, is God is with us just as he was with the people of Israel. He is with us on this journey. It's, he is with us all along the way. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't say, okay, that's enough. I mean, that takes a while to sink in to my brain. I don't know about yours. But sometimes I look at my life and go, I would probably give up on me. But the Lord looks and he goes, I will never give up. I will never give up. I am working in your life. I will complete what I've started. Which brings us to Joshua chapter 1 and really the major point that we've been reading toward. And Mike read this just a couple of moments ago. Joshua and the people, they're on the edge of the promised land. They're there. Moses has now passed away. He's not in the picture. Joshua is now the leader. And they're standing there. And where they're standing, they can literally look across the Jordanian Valley and look into the promised land. Because if you look at the promised land from the Jordanian Valley, particularly up toward Israel, uh, it's mountainous. It begins to go up and up and up. And if you were to hike from Jordan, the Jordan River, to Jerusalem, it's, it's uh, quite a hike. And it's all upward. So and when you read the book of Psalms, sometimes you'll see Psalms of Ascent. 
Those were the songs that people would sing together as they, was make, as they were making that hike up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple or to go to a feast that is up there. So here they are. They're looking. They can see the promised land. It's set before them. In Joshua 1, it says, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan. You'll go from here in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So three days later, they, they camp out there. And three days later, God tells Joshua, tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? You saw Indiana Jones, you know. Okay, same, same one. Well, not the same one, but, you know, you get the idea. Same idea there. They take the Ark of the Covenant because they take the Ark of the Covenant, which carries in it the, the stones, the remnants of the stones of the Ten Commandments. And literally it is, is the, the, the dwelling place, the sitting place of God. Take it and go down to the middle of the Jordan River. And so they're going, okay. There's one problem. Have you seen the river? You see, the Jordan River normally is a very small river. It's, it's kind of like the upper Chattahoochee, north of the lake. You can get across it. Some places it's a little deep. Sometimes it can be a little, a little swift. But um, you can cross it. You know, it may take a while. Uh, taking a couple of million people across it, eh, it may be a little challenging. But that's normal. But this isn't normal. This is flood season, the scriptures tell us. When, when it's flood season, think lower Chattahoochee. Think uh, down here near Buford Dam. Have you ever been over there and you, you see when they're letting the water out? Uh, I've been fishing over there. But, uh, I've, I dabble in fly fishing. And Kelly, my son-in-law, he dabbles in rescuing me from fly fishing. <laughs> yes, uh, you can fall and slip on the moss out there. And when, even when you have those waders on, which are very cool, they're great, you know, but the problem is when you dip the wader under the water, it, you know what it does? It fills up. And then you know what you do? You go down the river. And you know what Kelly does? He comes and rescues me and pulls me out. And Kelly has rescued me from more than just one river, quite a few, in fact, but um, it's flood stage. And so this, this normally very nice little river that flows down there that's kind of fun to get in. People get baptized when they go over to the Jordan River now. And uh, it's, it's fun, except the fish will nibble at you. But now it's not a small river. It's a raging river. And they're going, have you seen the river? This is a problem. So the elders and the leaders, they go down to the river, and they have a decision. What are we going to do? God said cross this, but, but this is not like the Red Sea where we're going to lift a staff up. You know, Joshua, where, where'd that staff of Moses go? Can you just lift that thing up, you know, or touch it or something and, and the Jordan River will split? No, it's not like that. It's not going to happen that way. The instructions from God is as soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, he kind of puts that in like, okay, remember the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. When, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its rivers flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. And they're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've gotta, we've got to actually step out into the river first. Yep, that's the idea. It's a step of faith. But it's a rushing river. It's dangerous. We could fall in here and, like Scott, get carried away. Because <laughs> trust me. In fact, no, don't trust me. Trust God. 
This is what the Lord has said. When you step out, you're not stepping out on water. You're stepping out on the promise of God. When Peter was stepped out of the boat, when God called him to step out of the boat, and when Jesus called him to sit by the boat and come to him, actually, Peter says, bid me come to you. And he said, come on. And Peter stepped out. He stepped out on the promise of Jesus. And that's what faith is. Faith is not saying, I believe, I believe, I believe. Faith is leaning into, putting your weight there, stepping, making that step. And there are times in our Christian life where the Lord will speak to us or he'll show us something that we know he wants us to do or a step that we believe he wants us to take. And the miracle we were waiting for it to happen. Lord, as soon as the miracle happens, as soon as the provision happens, as soon as this, this, and this happens, then I'll step out. And the Lord is urging us, no, step out. And as you obey, I'll meet you there. And that's exactly what happened with the people of Israel. It's not until they stepped out into the Jordan River did the Lord stop the water. As soon as their feet hit the water, the water upstream stopped. It piled up, the scripture says, and the people crossed. And when you read that, that account, it says they crossed on dry land. It wasn't even muddy. They crossed across dry land. Imagine the scene of watching that. If you stand on the banks of the Jordan River and you watch the river stop and then you see all of these people coming out of the dry, barren desert where they've been for 40 years and they're crossing over into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a provision of goodness, the land that God has promised them where they will be a nation, they will be a people, and they will be able to dwell in safety. And he says, come on across, and you're watching this take place. So at the end of the day, they finished, and probably what they wanted to do is the same thing we would want to do after a great accomplishment. They would say, it's party time, you know? Let's get set up tents, let's get the fires going. Uh, let's grill some steaks and let's celebrate because this is great. And, and so often when we have good things happen in our life, I mean, that's the natural tendency. Let's celebrate. And there's nothing wrong with that. But God says, wait a minute. Before you start, there's something very important you need to do. I want you to take the priest. In fact, take one man from each tribe. There's 12 tribes. Take 12 men, one from each family, if you will, and have them go back down into the river, which still stopped, go to the middle where the priests were standing, and get in the middle 12 large stones, bring them up out of the river, and stand them up here. And they're going, okay, that's kind of an odd request, but we'll, we'll do this. We'll do what you've asked us to do. What's this, what is this about? And the Lord says, I want you to put these up as a stone, as stones of remembrance of what I've done this day. I want you to, to see them and know every time you see them, this is a rem reminder of the deliverance of God. How he met us and did something that we could never do for ourselves. He saved us. He redeemed us. He provided for us. Joshua writes this, he says, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear or revere the Lord your God. Why did God have him stand up? Those stones, first of all, was to remember, to remember, to remember that the God who had gotten them this far is with them now. And the God who is with them now is the God who will be with them tomorrow. 
That the God who delivered them in the past from problems that they went through then is the God who is present with them now with the challenges that they're facing today. And the God who is with them today is the God who will be with them with the things that they'll face tomorrow. And the same is true for us. You know, you may be facing an insurmountable challenge right now. And we have a tendency when we're facing a challenge, and I do, I'll speak for me, to, to look at that challenge or that problem, and it seems huge. In fact, I've discovered I am a great mental architect. I can take a small problem and build it into the end of the world. You know, it's the end of the world as we know it. It's, you know, it's horrible. And I don't know if you're like that or not, but you may share that tendency. And the Lord says, I don't want you to live in anxiety the future. I want you to remember what I've done in the past. And I want you to remember that what I did in the past, I didn't die out there in the desert with Moses. I'm with you now. And I'll be with you tomorrow. And so they, they, they were obedient in standing those stones up to remember. To remember. God wants us to remember He says in Isaiah 46, verse 9, Remember the former things of long past, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I don't know about you, but when it comes to memory, I've discovered something. I have a a tendency to remember what I need to forget and to forget what I need to remember. I don't know if you share that or not, but, but I do. And we need to remember the goodness of God over and over and over again in the scripture we're told, I think it's over 250 times, to remember the grace, the goodness, the compassion, the the forgiveness, the help, the rescue, the the just being with us when we're hurting and, and we're aching and God is with us. Remember and delight in his goodness. Remember what he has done and delight in his goodness. The second purpose of these stones being erected, he says, is that, that they would put these river stones up as a testimony, as a witness, not only to call you to remember and your kids to remember and your grandkids to remember, but the whole world, he says. The whole world will look at this and they will remember or think about or you tell them what has taken place and they will be a testimony of, of the goodness and the deliverance of God. They will be trophies of God, if you will. Testimonies of God's love and his grace, deliverance, his faithfulness. It will proclaim to the whole world, God is good. God delivered us. In fact, when when you read this this chapter, it says at the point of the writing of the book, it says they're still there. They're even still there. I don't know how long they stayed there, but they were there for a long time for the world to see. Now, you may say, okay, that's a cool story. I get it. That's really nice. It's really enjoyable. What's the point? What's the point other than it being a good story? Well, here's the point. When we come to the New Testament, Peter writes this about us. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. In other words, to represent God. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's our our act of worship is our lives. It's our lives, our love for God, our devotion to him, our serving him, our serving one another. 
But he says, you're to be the river stones for this generation. You're to stand up and to show the goodness of God. Now, that doesn't mean we stand up and say, we're perfect. In fact, no, it says, we're broken, and God delivered us. We, we, just like a stone, we have scars on us. We have chips on us. But God has delivered us, and God has been with us, and he has healed us. We become the living stones, the testimony of a people who are, as we, we, we talk about our purpose, who are declaring and delighting in the beauties of Jesus. It is no longer a pile of stones that witnesses to the world. It's no longer really a, a, a stone church or a church building. It's people that the world relates to. It's people who they see like them have gone through hardships and have come to trust and lean upon the, God, the Lord God, and he has delivered them. He is with them, healing, rebuilding, sometimes breaking down and rebuilding again, but he is at work in their life. And that is a powerful truth, a powerful truth. So when we, we were reading through and preaching through, studying through the book of Joshua, and we saw this, and it appealed to us, and we really began to be drawn to the name Riverstone because we want to be those living stones. We want this church to be the, the living stones that witnesses to this entire community around us of who God is. And we want to be living and worshiping Him. And as powerful as that truth is, there's a little bit more to the story. And don't worry, we're, it's, it's, we're almost wrapped up, okay? We're, it's, we're going to wrap up in a second. Almost there. But there's two more very powerful truths very quickly I'll share. It's, there's more to it. Uh, both rivers and stones carry a lot of symbolism in the Bible. And you think about it, you begin to go, yeah, there are a, a lot of rivers in the Bible. It begins with a river, you know, flowing around Eden, nourishing the Garden of Eden. Uh, when you go all the way to the end of the, the Bible, Revelation, final chapters, there's another river. It literally flows from the throne of God. And it brings nurture and healing to all the nations through the trees that grow there in that powerful symbolism. Where rivers flow, life happens. Uh, Psalm 1 talks about the life that's uh, finding its delight in the ways of the Lord, the person. And it says that they're going to be like a tree planted by uh, rivers of, of water. Be very nurtured by that. The prophet Ezekiel talks about this river that God invites people in. He says, don't just put your toe in. Put your ankle in. Don't just put your ankle, put your whole foot in. Don't, don't just put your foot in. Get into your knees. Get up to your waist. Get in and swim. The Lord wants us to not stand on the shore and watch life go by and watch what God does in other people's life. He's inviting us all in. He's saying, come on, all in. Come on, come on, all in with me and flow the, the, the rivers are symbolic of the Spirit of God, the flowing life of God, the living Spirit of God. At the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, they're celebrating their time in the, in, the, um, in the desert in God's faithfulness. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles is about when they lived in those little bitty tents out there. And one of the things they celebrate is when Moses was told by God to touch the, or strike the stone and the, and the water gushed out, a river gushed out of a stone and provided for them. So in Jesus' day, and I catch this, this is wild, they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus goes to this great feast and it says on the great day, the, the highest day of the feast, which feast? Feast of the Tabernacle. It says, he says this, if anyone is thirsty, <laughs> let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this, just in case we're wondering, he says, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. The river is the Spirit of God, the flowing Spirit of God, the living Spirit of God who is here. He is with us right now. Stones are equally symbolic in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we see stones being mentioned, and typically it has to do with faith or the Word of God. The tablets, the Ten Commandments were written on stone. David faces down with great faith Goliath. He goes and gets five smooth stones. And I think Chris mentioned this. Uh, He only uses one. What were the other ones for? Goliath had brothers. <laughs> and so he was, he was armed. He was locked and loaded, man. He was ready for them all. But it's symbolic of faith. Jesus would teach a parable about if you're going to build a house, don't build it on sand. Build it on, yeah, build it on rocks. Build it on something solid there. Peter's confession when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ephesians, Paul writes this, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Not a structural, uh, physical building, people who are built is a temple to the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit of God. And then, just as we saw a moment ago, there are those stones that are brought out, the river stones that are brought out of the Jordan River. So when we were looking for a name, we were drawn to these images because we thought, we want to be a people, a church, that is a people who love God's Word and who love God's Spirit. Now, I don't know if you've been around churches very much, but sometimes churches have a tendency to do one or the other. And they'll be all about the Word, but we don't want to talk about the Spirit. Or it's just banana town in the Spirit. (laughs) And and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're not, Bible study is boring to us. No, 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 no. We want both the Word and the Spirit. We want that to embody who we are as a people. And as a result of that, to be able to be those living stones that stand up to this generation and stand out to this generation and say, God is good. People who literally declare and delight in who Jesus is, the beauties of Jesus, and remember the beauties of Jesus. When we made this decision years ago, that particular Sunday, we gave out a whole bunch of stones. As people came in, we gave them stones. And they were wondering, what's this for? Are we going to stone the pastor if the message is bad? I mean, you know, is there, is there going to be a stoning after church? I mean, you know, what's the, what's the deal here? And so we cleared that up. But uh, we, we did that so that everybody had a, a, you know, a, rem- a remembrance of the day. That they could just put that in their pocket, pocketbook or on their dresser or somewhere and let that stone be symbolic of, yes, that's, that's who we want to be. That's who we are in Christ. Now, the, the thing is, they're not magic rocks, okay? And we're not worshiping them. We didn't worship them any more than the children of Israel worshiped the pile of stones that God had them put up. But they're reminders. They're symbols. And there's nothing wrong with using symbols that point to him that it is he who is faithful, he who is with us, and he who wants to work through us. So that's it. That's how we came up with the name Riverstone. And we really believe that it was prophetic into literally what God is doing now with, uh, with this church. 
I look out and I see people that have been here a long time. I look out here and I see a lot of new people. And I can't tell you how that blesses my heart and encourages my heart that God is being faithful to his word. And he is building for this generation people that will be living stones for him.